You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. HuntStand is the most popular and functional mobile hunting app on the market. With a variety of base maps to choose from, satellite imagery that is updated every month, the ability to check the weather, no property information, and even catalog your trail cam picks, HuntStand even gives you the ability to import pins and location markers from other mobile apps. Visit HuntStand.com or download wherever you download your apps. Enter discount code SN20 at checkout for 20% off. Transform the way you hunt with the all-new base cellular trail camera connected by the Moultrie Mobile app. Moultrie Mobile's industry-best app gives you complete control over your camera settings, up-to-the-minute updates from the field, and other interactive scouting tools on your smartphone or computer. Features like weather forecast, advanced species recognition, interactive maps, and a whole lot more. For more information and to make your purchase, visit www.moultriemobile.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Welcome to Maximize Your Hunt, the podcast dedicated to those who want the most out of their hunting property. This podcast explores land management, habitat improvement, and hunting strategies that will help you maximize your time in the field. Follow along as industry professionals that live and breathe white-tailed deer share their secrets to success. And now, the founder of Whitetail Landscapes, your host, John Teeter. Hi, I'm John Teeter, Whitetail Landscapes. This is Maximize Your Hunt. Welcome back. Hopefully everybody's doing well. I am at the tail end of gun season. Today was actually the last day of rifle season or shotgun season, depending on where you are across the state or New York State for that you know that matter. Um, some of the other folks that I know um, across the country, you're coming to a close, and I, I'm sure it's been a good ride. Other people, the season extends, and actually in New York, we have a late season hunt this year that, that I'm excited about. And uh, I, I think muzzleloader is next, but it's muzzleloader and, and primitive weapons and crossbow and archery, whatever you you know, whatever your heart desires. I will do a little bit of that hunting, but I'm pretty much at the end of my rope, at least hunting season wise. And I start clients here in one week. So the grind begins for me. Uh, it's not a grind, but obviously, you know, it's important for me to uh, focus on that next because hunting season as short as it is, seems to be a little bit long this year. Um, I'm excited because we got Kenny Kane back. If everybody remembers, he's been on previous episodes. He's a forester in Pennsylvania, and he's got some interesting stories to share with us. We'll talk a little bit about his hunting season and some projects he's got going on because I think sharing you know, some of his knowledge base will, will help you all in the field because we're, we're in habitat season. The way I see it is the next come, upcoming weeks, you know, this is the start of habitat season for a lot of people, improving your property, starting to develop a plan. I'm consulting, so... Uh, you know, that's where I'm at and that's where most of you will be. So Kenny, what's going on? You on the line? Hey, I'm here, John. How you doing, man? Good, man. So why don't you quick go through your hunting season? How's it been for you? 
I'll tell you what, PA has been a struggle for me this year. I mean, uh, I was very excited going into the season, probably the best bucks that I've had and, you know, multiple target bucks of like, oh, wow, you know, half dozen on a hit list. I'll take that, but couldn't put it together. And I will say, you know, not being a first world problem complainer, a lot of my days off went to an elk hunt in Colorado, so I didn't get the time I want here, but I'm not going to complain about that. You know, I had a successful hunt in Colorado, so I'll take my, uh, take my whooping in PA. Yeah, that's fine. And you shot a nice bull in Colorado. Is that, that from what I remember? I did. Yeah. Yeah. Shot it, shot a real nice five by five on the last day out in Colorado that it, it was a grind. It's kind of one of those things, you know, I went with an outfitter and people think, oh, you go with an outfitter. It's a guarantee. It was five days of grinding before I even saw a bull. And luckily the bull that I saw was the one that I got. So it worked out great. Yeah. We'll take that as a win. And I'm, I'm happier for you. And yes. And, and you know what? So what you struggled this year, um, some of us have, yep. and uh, it's part of the game and, and you know what? Oh, it, it, it is what it is, Kenny. I mean, it is yep. what it is. So let's, uh, yep. let's, let's skip ahead and let's talk a little bit about uh, what you've got going on project wise um, I, mm-hmm. I know that a lot of us, you know, relate force management to this very uh, mundane, excuse me on that, but very rigorous yet, you know, some somewhat sophisticated, right. And, and I guess pragmatic, you know, kind of mindset in my mind, force management is probably one of the largest components that I focus in on when I'm doing my management plans. Um, and I, I think it's really important that, you know, if you have a consultant, uh, a forester or somebody like me, um, there is an ideology that, that kind of precedes you and, and you come up with a plan collaboratively uh, as, as kind of a team. And it's, you know, it's a team yes. effort. Um, and then that's something that you and I talked about last time. And I think that was really important takeaway in that conversation between us. I, I think you could relate to that. Oh, definitely. Definitely. I mean, that's the biggest thing is, uh, you know, cause I may have a different mindset of, you know, strictly forest management, or, you know, even with my wildlife management hat on compared to what the landowner may perceive is, hey, they want to do some uh, timber stand improvement treatment for, let's just say, you know, this project that we'll talk about a little bit more in depth as we carry on about uh, getting rid of this black birch mid canopy. Um, you know, and I told him, I said, hey, we can get rid of that. That'll be great. And I said, but let's look at it in uh, another way is, hey, in 10 years, if we don't get rid of the black birch seed, source it's in the overstory we're going to be doing this same thing in 10 years i'm like but it's going to be a kind of an eyesore your stand's going to be a lot more open um you know it was high grade this property in particular was high graded okay so with this uh property you know coming up with the team effort with uh you know the ideas of what to do there is a you know black birch uh, understory and then there's some black birch scattered in the overstory that caused you know was the main seed source for why there's a black birch understory and i just said hey we, we're going to want to get rid of uh you know we should get rid of the seed source but it's going to open up your forest a lot more that it may be a little bit of an eyesore and he goes well okay all right let me think and I said, yeah, you know, think about it. I said, you'll be short term. You're going to have great habitat. But in the next, you know, 10 to 15 years, we're going to be doing this project all over again. 
and you know, he went back, did a little bit of research, a little bit of thinking, called me that night and he said, Hey, you're right. We got to get rid of that seed source. I know it'll be a little bit of an eyesore, but that's the right thing to do for the property. Let's do it. You know, rather than if I just went in there and said, Hey, we're getting rid of it. And he comes back and it's not what he perceived it would be. Then it's a lose, lose for everyone. You know, even though it may be the right thing for for you know, forest management, he's the one that owns it. He's the one that spends his weekends there. And, you know, he has to enjoy it for himself too. Yeah. I, I hear you there. So, all right. So short term, right. We've got our short term objective to have a long term mm-hmm. benefit. And yes. most people are thinking, at least the people that I work with a lot of times, we're thinking two to three years. So yep. it, it's hard to think about that 10 year cycle of, you know, improving the property, building habitat, and then focusing through and verifying, you know, what, what was the end result, right? What was the outcome? Mm-hmm. And was it a desired outcome? Because mm-hmm. a lot of times in those examples, there's so much resident seed source. Um, I can think of a property that I just worked on not too long ago, Black Locust. I mean, just, mm-hmm. just, and this, this year was a locust year, big time. Uh, the seed source is all over the place and not something deer eat, by the way. Anybody wonders, you know, um, honey locust pods, absolutely. Black locust pods. Yes. I, I've never seen them touch those. Uh, nope. Similar to red bud. They look very similar, at least in composition, at least at least the initial, the wing composition. But they open up and it becomes a seed source for obviously ground nesting birds or just birds in general. Um, but that short term loss of removing those has a consequence because you're going to have more resident plants available that you're going to have to fight with for the next five, seven, 10, 20 years, depending, right? I mean, that's, that's an example that I've dealt with here in New York. Um, let's talk a little bit about your, this, uh, this particular client and a plan and the strategy that you have. Can you kind of frame the story with the client and kind of talk about what your big overarching strategy is and then maybe give some people some ideas of how to approach something. Cause right now they're starting to look at their woodlots and they're saying, what do I do? What yes. do I do? Right. Yes. And, and that's exactly what it was. And it was just a complete happen chances, you know, this individual and there's a real cool story behind it. His family owned it from the mid seventies to the early nineties. And then they sold it. And it was his life goal is I'm getting that property back. I'm getting that property back and doggone it. Then he'd just acquire it just a few months ago. And in that time that his family didn't own it, it was harvested fairly aggressively and he was getting some arboriculture work done. And the guy who was his arborist, you know, they get chatting about, oh, forestry, Penn State, et cetera. And he goes, well, hey, I need a forest. I need to talk with a forester in this region. He goes, well, hey, let me give my your number to my friend Kenny and gave the guy a call, was able to meet with him just last week. And is very proactive of like, Hey, I realize I have some problems. I need to make this property better. And met last week and uh, meeting with them again tomorrow to finalize the project, lay out the stands individually and how we're going to treat them. And, you know, and also bring in our, uh, one of our subcontractors, it's going to do some of the hand felling. I mean, cause I know I can do some to an extent, but uh, I'm not that tough. That's uh, the guys that are loggers. They're, t- they're tougher than me. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> you know, so, so he can meet him and meet with the landowner and say, Hey, they, you know, get a little bit of personal connection with the project, take some pride on it and, you know, do the, do the best job that you can. 
So let's uh, let's step back. So how large is the property? Uh, 110 acres. Okay, 110 acres. What percentage of yep. it is wooded? What, what's the composition? Uh, so it, it would be, I'd say, about 100 acres is wooded. And it was a traditionally an oak stand, probably, fit, I'll say, 60 to 70 acres is what was a oak stand. And then there's probably about a 40-acre you know, mixed oak, heaviest to hemlock, you know, uh, where I wouldn't look at it as revert, you know, you that's your corridor. That's your bedding areas. That's what you're looking at. And it's like, uh, but in the time that they didn't own it, it was cut fairly aggressively, probably done with a diameter limit cut 16 inches and up, but there's enough of a seed source there of desirables from red Oak, white Oak, tulip poplar, hard maple, soft maple, a little bit of black cherry, but not a very good cherry site, you know, good oak growing site. But when they did that aggressive harvest in the, you know, I'm calling it mid nineties, uh, none of the birch was removed from the overstory. And it is just, I, it's thousands of stems per acre of, you know, two inch diameter to four inch diameter, just black birch. And, you know, so it's a little bit of a little bit of a mess. And the guy knows that, hey, I'm, I'm not holding deer here. I don't have the browse for the deer here. The one or two food plots that I have are, you know, not enough to sustain the deer herd. Like I, I, I got to get this things fixed. And I could look at it as a couple different ways of saying, hey, there's, uh, you know, I'm not gonna be able to do an economical timber harvest for you while caring for the land. And I said, but you know, if you're open to investing into your property and doing some management work, it's, it can be a, you know, long-term benefit. And he, he, that's what he was on board for. He wasn't worried about generating revenue. He was just strictly worried about, uh, just, you know, sustainably managing his forest you know, because he has his grandkids hunting on the property with him and wants something for them to, you know, keep hunting with them. And I think that's just phenomenal. Can you go through the example uh, of the, the steps that you would take? So you've segregated into management zones or work mm-hmm. management zones or species management zones. Can you explain kind of the philosophy there? And then from that, let's get into a prescription because pe- people may not understand what this even means. You're starting to diagnose its status, its composition, the quality, right? Can you walk us through some specifics? You kind of already did that a little bit, but I'd like a little more detail. Yeah. So where we went is, and he, he did a great job and, you know, he, uh, you know, pulled up on uh, whatever app he was using, you know, I forget which, I don't know if it was Onyx or Spartan Forge or base map. One of those, he, you know, drew in his stand lines. And it was all based off of where his four-wheeler trails were. And he goes, hey, I want to focus on area one first. And this is what he picked out. And this is that collaborative working with the landowner with their goals and objectives. And, and hey, I see why you want to work number, stand number one first because this is where you have a food plot sitting in the middle of it. You know, you need the, uh, you know, that's your number one hunting area. Absolutely. Let's look at that first for managing it because – that's where you spend the most time. And then, okay, here's area two. I was thinking that, well, okay. Yeah. Because this is where you have another uh, half acre food plot and 
need to, you know, manage around it. And we just, and he gave his reasoning for, you know, his priority of stands one, two, three, four, and five. And I said, Hey, I, I would not change your, uh, you know, your ranking system of how you want to treat them, you know, one through five. And I started looking at him. I said, okay, let's combine part of two and part of three, because all the stand three is hemlock. And you have this area drawn in where it's predominantly a lower quality white Oak stand where it's like, Hey, we need to open this up, get rid of this junk, but let's, let's shift that out of the stand. And, you know, he was very receptive to that. And it was almost too simple for manage, you know, for managing because the number one problem is that mid canopy black birch, you know, there isn't a big uh, beach with the, you know, didn't have a lot of beach on the property and the few beach that he did have were healthy, didn't have the beach scale. So it was like, Whoa, this is, this is very uncommon for Pennsylvania to find a stand that's not infested with beach and all of it have the beach scale. So, you know, we broke it down that way. We looked at the, the birch problem was our number one uh, ranking system and almost all of the property had that. So it kind of yeah. made it simple. And, and so let's go through the process of, so some, mm-hmm. some people may look at it this way, you know, the birch status, particularly in the Oak region, it does probably pretty good in Rocky soils in some capacity. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I think of black birch, I don't know why I think this, I think about tea. Um, I don't know what else it's used for medicinally, but it's usually a tea. I, and again, mm-hmm. for wildlife, um, I'm thinking for deer specifically, it's really not a, a highly consumed browse species. So no, if, there, yep. if there were Oak in there, right, maybe that is another attribute where the Oak obviously were out competed, of course, because they, they met the browse pressure, maybe the population at that, you know, time in the eighties, or nineties was, was, you know, too high. And as a result, Mm -hmm. you know, that could have impacted the stand or like in this case, over harvest, right. They were over harvesting and they weren't managing, you know, the, the seedling sapling ratio and, and, you know, the amount of sunlight and, and the competition related to to that. Right. And, um, yes, yes. You could, you could look at this property and say, most likely nothing else was considered other than income. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> Which bad, is, bad move, yeah, yeah. Bad, bad move. Ex- very bad move and it was great to meet with someone or i'm like hey you know maybe in about 10 years we could do a sustainable timber harvest he goes no i i don't want to i said oh my goodness this makes my life so much easier because it's it, he's giving you the tools uh that i need as a forester and as a land manager to set his property up for the future the absolute best that it can so let's let's get in this specific prescription. So break mm-hmm. down a section, describe its its brief composition, maybe density, so people kind of have an idea of the number of stems per acre, that type of stuff. And then what what yeah. is the plan of action? Yeah. So this stand will will stick in stand number one. It was running mm, very probably about a hundred stems per acre of desirable hardwoods. And, uh, I, I guess I shouldn't say desirable cause not all of it was desirable, but there's a, you know, decent amount of Oak, maple, tulip poplar, and you know, white Oak and red Oak when I'm speaking of Oak, but it was, ve- it was very open, very open. It would be, you know, so the folks that are listening, like think about 
the stands that you see on whether it be state forest land, game lands, national forest, et cetera, that are in, it looked like what I call a shelterwood harvest stage. Um, so, you know, pretty open, but the understory from 20 feet and under is nothing but black birch stems stacked on top of each other. So we're looking at it a couple different ways is, you know, forest management wise, it's too tall to spray with a, uh, you know, a machine herbicide sprayer, one of the herbicide machines that are mounted on like a log skitter. And then you could do a, it's too small on a landscape level, the stems are to do a hack and squirt method using a, you know, hatchet and glyphosate and hacking into the stem and squirting some glyphosate in there because there's too many stems. It would take too long. You'd use, uh, you'd be close to using the label rate of uh, glyphosate per acre. And then the amount of doing a basal park treatment, you'd be using a whole lot of chemical per acre. It'd be extremely expensive. And then you're stuck with all those stems that are 20 feet tall, dead, hanging out. And he didn't really want that because him and his grandkids, they traverse it with their ATVs and they hike through it and turkey hunt and deer hunt and everything else. And personally, I like doing the, just your brush cutting it. There's going to be a lot done with, you know, chainsaws or I like to refer to the uh, weed eater on steroids, the big steel uh, weed eaters with the steel blades that, they just cut through that stuff like crazy. So it's going to be a treatment of just brush cutting. And then we're going to go through and identify the larger beach or I'm sorry, birch uh, seed sources. And we're going to cut and fell those as well. And, and that, that'll and it, be the prescription. Yeah. And is that, so two things, one previously on this podcast, we've talked about that specific equipment. We had a steel dealer mm-hmm. on here talking about yep. that. Um, and that's a very uh, opportune tool. They're expensive. You can rent them. We've, we've talked about this in, in some detail, uh, impressive piece of equipment. Oh, I love them. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that's, you know, a tool in your arsenal. Um, if you decide to yep. buy something like that, if you have kind of a, a, a small sapling type issue that you're dealing with, mm-hmm. what, what's the diameter of most of these particular trees? Uh, you could say on average about two to four inch in diameter. Okay. And yes. the, the seed source determination. So what, so you're looking at the birch as a seed source, what, what trees yes. are producing now, what is their age of production? That's significant. Are they, is it a 20 year, you know, start date? Um, is it 10 year, 15 year? What, what's the timeline related to birch? They, they'll start producing in that 10 to 20 year. Once they get above 20 years, they're producing seed. Okay. And then you get, and these ones, they're in a mature state. This is the seed source that we're looking at that, that mid canopy, not worried about that as a seed source, but the overstory ones that are there are what I'm worried about for the seed source. Okay. So you're taking out the overstory trees, mm-hmm. uh, which yep. are mid story trees in the scale of things. And yeah, so yeah, they would, they would be, uh, yeah, they would be suppressed mid, you know, mid canopy trees in a, fully stock stand but in this uh under stock stand they're they're in the overstory <laughs> because all the you know superior trees were harvested all right so we take the seed source out we use our brush cutter mm-hmm. to remove some of the stems in there what are our mm-hmm. next steps are we treating this the individual seed sources those trees with the basil bark excuse me a stump chemical spray or how are we how are we doing that so with the larger with the uh 
you know, the smaller diameter ones, you know, about the four inch and under, you don't have to worry as much about stump sprouting, but the larger birch stumps, they can't, they can sprout back. They will, you know, year one after it, we're going to go after the, you know, removing of all the birch. We'll go back and monitor and see what, you know, what's popping up through year one, not a very big concern. It's going to be a tangled mess on the forest floor with the amount of stems hitting the ground. But years two, three, you know, two through five, we're going to be monitoring because that birch seed source from the, you know, the birch that's in the overstory was still dumping seeds. So sunlight's going to be hitting the ground and, you know, any of that birch seed that's in, in the floor could start sprouting. So then we'll probably be looking at doing a uh, mist blower treatment, depending on if it's real spotty or if it, you know, takes out through a whole stand that's, 20 30 acres maybe we'll do it machine spray but most likely it'll be you know smaller patches will come up so in stand one it was 20 acres maybe we'll have to treat five to ten acres and we'll do that with a backpack sprayer and you know use like a glyphosate broad base leaf uh you know spraying the leaf surface in the summer to knock that back out and you said you said that the uh, the stems that are in that four to six range, you don't anticipate mm-hmm. a lot of stump sprouts at that point. I don't. Yeah. I don't. Yeah. No. And, and I'll say one of the things too, like uh, depend depending on how big it is, and when they shear off, like when they're cut very flush, they'll sprout back better. But if the stems get beat up and kind of cracked and bend, and you know, start shearing at the at the butt, they don't sprout back as well. Did did you ever so, did you ever use the strategy where you cut the stem flush and then the practitioner actually takes the chainsaw and he runs a, a quick buzz right through the center of the, the the base of the stem? I don't I don't know if you've tried that. I I have I have done that on a couple, but yeah. I haven't done it uh, very intensely. Yeah, it takes more time. Trick or tr- trick mm-hmm. of the trade, right? Maybe that's a mm-hmm. maybe that's a little qu- you know quick option for somebody who's who's has this right. particular issue. So wait, I yep. need I need to back up for you. Um, so the larger stems, the trees that you cut, are you cutting these? Like, what's the timeline? Are you cutting them in the summertime so they're stressed? When are, when are you cutting these trees? Well, due to kind of the use of the property and timing of everything, is this project going to start? this week um yep so this project's gonna start this week just just due to timing and you know hit in the landowner's use of the property like it would be great you know to do in the summer less chance of sprouting etc but it's like hey he wants less impact on the property and granted it's just going to be you know a guy a pickup and his equipment not like we're going to have a skitter or anything in there but this is his dormant season of the property hunting season's over they're done but then in the winter they'll be back up and you know maybe if the weather's fit you know be up snowmobiling or they'll be up um you know hanging out at camp while his grandkids are off on christmas break so it's kind of one of those things like we're we're placating around his use of the property yeah and i think that you're tailoring you're tailoring the specific prescription to his demands. And mm-hmm. I understand that. And what I liked earlier, you talked about, you know, considering, you know, they're playing around there, they're enjoying, and they don't want dead mm-hmm. stems standing. Um, there's yep. a time and place for hack and squirt. And and this is yes. probably for a different podcast. 
there's a time and place for stump cutting, um, hinge mm-hmm. cutting, like all these like methodologies that we're talking about, um, you know, stem sprain or, you know, stump sprain, whatever the case may be, there's a strategy mm-hmm. for each one of those for each, you know, each scenario. And what you yes. just broke down to me was, you know, you could, you, you're, you're really providing him the best solution, like not being this land order, but listening to you as a practitioner, it's like, wow, this makes a lot of sense to me and it's meaningful. The one thing I wonder is with all those stems laying on the ground, mm-hmm. uh, providing some form of, you know, there, some form of security for the next generational plants that are going to come up. Yep. Um, are those being cut into sections? Are they being removed, berm, chipped? What's the plan there? So they are going to be in, and this is one of the things we're going to decide tomorrow actually is, uh, this uh, we're going to you know go through a little bit more in depth with him and our contractor looking and saying hey maybe uh you know stands one two and three are going to be big enough that we can remove and remove them for pulpwood oh. and be able to sell them that way is okay. it hey it, it worked out where uh you know doing this project i talked to one of the procurement managers for their local paper mill and said hey there's a you know, this project we're doing, I said, yeah, it's most likely going to be dumped. He goes, Hey, you know, we could, we could use from some wood and, you know, from, from, uh, this project and I can put it in under, you know, the sustainable use, you know, program to, you know, get it in up my wood quota. And I'm like, well, Hey, if we can utilize a product, awesome. But I said, Hey, you know, there's going to be only a certain area that's usable because most of it's too small. You know, so it, it'll be cut and left and, you know, deteriorate on the property and make great habitat for grouse and turkey and everything else, too. Would you, well, it depends on, you know, how specific the, the logger is that's going in there to do the, the actual mm-hmm. uh, cutting. Um, would you recommend in some sections they, they use that material to prevent uh, any browsing, specifically if there's a, the hope to regenerate or you know create a future stand of oak i mean is there a hope for that because i know that's something that we've talked about in the past on previous Mm -hmm. podcasts is there is there kind of a a feeling that maybe even be feasible or not it's it's one of those ones like right now i have it in my mind that we're probably going to be utilizing nothing nothing will be pulled out of the woods Mm -hmm. and which I, I personally think if we're going to be regenerating oak, I think it's the best thing to protect it from uh, the deer browse. Yeah. You know, that, that's what I think. But it's like, hey, if, if economics play into it and it could be a benefit, you know, still be the right thing to do for that chunk of property, you know, that stand. Um, and, hey, you can, you know, utilize a product. I, I'm all about utilization, you know, and it's yeah. like, hey, a, a logger – we, you know, we're paying him X amount of acre to do so, but you know, him, he's like, boy, that's, that's tough to do knowing that there's, there's a product there. And, you know, the landowner's not getting anything for it. I'm not getting anything for it. He goes, I know I'm still getting paid, but you know, we, we could offset what the landowner has to pay. I said, yeah, you know, I'm right there with you, but we got to, you know, dig a little bit more in depth and that'll be tomorrow's goal is to be like, okay, what, what could be economical? Yeah. And what would you, so let's say, so let's say the landowner, you know, he's trying to create some structure. So he wants to leave some of the material, which is sensible, I think in some capacity, right? Mm-hmm. It's, again, it's de- going to decompose at a pretty 
significant rate. Those species decompose pretty quickly. Right. Um, and then on top of that, you know, if you were to go in there, and I see a ton of people doing this. They're ordering seed. They're going in. They're they've got these little tools, digging tools, and they drop. You know, they're dropping acorns. You know, in you know specific areas, and they're using kind of the debris right. to like. What if you wanted to go that route? Would you think that you know that would be feasible based upon the stand status? Because what you did mention is you've got about a hundred, and I'm not sure the size of those stems, but depending on the mm-hmm. stockage rates, like the amount of sunlight that's going to penetrate those areas, if it's sparse sunlight or what have you, is he at a place right. if he doesn't take some of the overstory trees that he won't get you know any gener- regeneration or you know some of those acorns taking off? Is he is he kind of in that? Because that's another consideration. Yes. Yes, it would be. And that's one of the things we actually talked about is, you know, how him and I came together was he was getting, you know, arbor work done on a big oak tree that he has. And he talked about, you know, the, and that's my, that's what my college buddy was doing for him. And I said, well, Hey, you know, when you have a good bumper crop, you know, that those few oak trees you have in your yard, fill up bags and bring them up here and toss them amongst the stand once we get this project done. And, but we don't have to worry about the, uh, of too much shade, you know, of inhibiting the, the shade intolerant species like Oak, um, because the stand is open enough, you know, it was cut aggressively enough that, uh, that that's not going to be a problem. Can you, for a more of a simple minded person like myself, mm-hmm. when it comes to looking at a stand and saying, okay, is there enough dapple sunlight or sunlight to, you know, support, you know, these shade intolerant species like, Oh, mm-hmm. what, what are you kind of looking for? Like just as a, just a commoners kind of mindset. Yeah. And so we'll, you know, we'll kind of picture it summer full canopy. Um, if you have, if you look around and look, you know, 30 feet, you know, look out in front of you 10 yards. And if you aren't seeing, if you're in the shade the whole time, there's not enough, uh, openings in the canopy now if you're looking and you can go through and you're spin, you're spinning a circle and you're looking out 20 yards and be like okay well there's shade there boy the sunlight's beaming down there and then you know and you're seeing sunlight three four five times as you're spinning in the circle then you're looking like okay it, it's open enough but if you're just in shade you know over half the time that you're, you know, spinning around in that circle, there's not enough sunlight on the ground to get the regeneration of shade intolerant species. Do you look for maybe another consideration or interval or, you know, one of the things that I would look at is maybe the duration of sun in those locations. I mean, because obviously aspect is a, a huge piece of right. it, considering the, yep. the canopy status, you know, what would be a tolerable range? Are we talking two hours, eight hours it's contingent obviously on the sunlight in your particular area but you know right. usually we're hitting 14 hours right can you you know in the summertime can you can you get six hours and is that enough i mean what you know and that's dappled sunlight yeah, I, t- I tell you i tell you what john this is the first time i've ever been asked something like that now well, i'm really thinking i'm highly sophisticated i mean geez, you know that's a, <laughs> that is a good one that is a good one that I, i've honestly got never thought about that is the hours of sunlight the stand is getting you know i'm always looking at a stand and uh you know slope and aspect is it south facing is it north facing east west you know etc it's like okay the south south facing slopes are a little tougher because they're getting that sunlight all the time soil's a little drier a little rougher um you know so the south facing slopes are getting the most sunlight and they're not the best growing site so it's like geez oh man that 
10 hours of sunlight's not a good way to look at it. You know, it'd yeah. probably have to be in that four to six hours. Yeah. And it's funny because this topic has come up, oh goodness, over the past several years with me and, and anybody who listens to this, right? I'm going to be very raw here. I mean, you know, my practice and knowledge in this area is specific to reading, right? And, uh, you know, field education. Uh, I don't have formal education like Kenny does. And these are the questions that I think landowners want to ask themselves because they have these hopes and aspirations of kind of creating mm-hmm. this, this uh, metropolis property. And like you just brought up south facing. Well, maybe in that example, you're not cutting as heavy if you wanted to generate, I guess, oak in that particular area, um, which you may or may not decide to do. Um, that mm-hmm. may not be the most ideal setting for your layout. Um, the, the other thing here that this, this kind of always kind of makes me think more about is, you know, when you're trying to develop a, a goal and this goal, like you're talking about earlier, he wants better deer hunting. And we know that birch isn't a species that deer necessarily browse on, but we want, mm-hmm. you know, I guess browse appropriate species. And we need to do a podcast on that. You and I, by the way, right. Um, yeah. I think that'd be, that would be a great one. And somebody just actually asked me that question the other day of let's start going through the species that, that you know, deer prefer and, you know, identifying, you know, what they're eating, you know, so you can, mm-hmm. is this browsed by deer or rabbits or what have you and what time right. of year? And is it, you know, a highly consumable plant? I mean, we talked, I talked to Craig Harper uh, years ago about uh, specifically sugar maples, like all oh, those deer mm-hmm. don't eat sugar maple. It's like, well, maybe where you are, they don't, but up here it's a preferred browse species. So it's right. You know, there's all these different things, Kenny, that, you know, was his goal at the end of the day, he wanted better deer habitat, but you, mm-hmm. you're kind of balancing all this. Like what's, what's the mix match of the goal? How would you define his goal? Cause I think it's hard for people to put into their mind and then express like, what are they actually trying to achieve? What, what was kind of, what's the conglomerate of you two coming together with this thing? It, you know, and where it came down to, because he wasn't looking at, forest management and, you know, looking to manage the timber or even like, you know, he knows that, Hey, I got to have, you know, some Oak or maple tulip poplar, things of that, you know, for the deer to browse, but wasn't looking at it as once that, you know, once that seedling then turns into a sapling that then's going to turn into a small pole tree to a small saw timber tree. He wasn't looking at it in that way in any way, shape or form. And even said, you know, he was strictly looking like, Hey, I need to make better deer habitat. And then I'm like, well, Hey, we're going to make better deer habitat. And then, you know, are you going to see the benefit in your lifetime? No, probably not, but your grandkids are gonna, and that, you know, your grandkids are going to see him, uh, you know, grow from a, a pole tree to a, you know, a small saw timber tree. And it was just, you know, bridging that gap that it's like, you're managing timber while, you're managing the wildlife because to you know make the wildlife habitat better there is the exact same thing that I would do if it was a timber investment client. We're going to do that exact same thing, but we we we're going to be looking at it though is yeah okay we got that once that regeneration gets started it's there it's getting above the browse line okay yes then we are looking at doing a you know a clear cut an overstory removal you know so the investment company can get their you know, get their investment back out of the property in the saw timber, but they set that property up for the regenerations there and it's going to be a sustainable hardwood forest for the future. So it's just, we're doing the same thing, but it's just bridging that gap and showing that 
forest management and wildlife management, we're heading down the same road, but you know, sometimes foresters don't look at the wildlife end of it. And sometimes wildlife, you know, wildlife managers don't look at the forestry end of it, but you want to know what we're both heading eastbound on interstate 80, but we won't acknowledge that we're heading down the same route going the same speed. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) Totally. Understand a hundred percent. You know, I guess the one thing I would say in this interval of prescription, you know, once you do your initial cut and planning, right, we talked about that's coming up the next, Mm -hmm. the next phase where you're going to reassess. What's the timeline again of that? Uh, You know, so really with this one, it, it will be, it, you know, next year, probably not. It'll probably be, we'll, we'll assess this summer just to look at it, get a full look at the project is, you know, the growing season's going on and we can get a better assessment of what the overstory looks like. The true seed source, you know, the health of the trees that are there. Um, and then, then it'll be five years. And, you know, once that regeneration gets poking, you know, gets into that knee high level, we can start making an assessment of, what's coming in. Hey, is it another flush of birch or is it some birch, but there is maple fighting with it or, you know, some Oak that is fighting with it that, uh, you know, an Oak takes a little longer as it develops its tap root first before it starts, you know, growing upward. So it probably will be about year five is when we make an assessment of what, what step is next. And then when you decide to do that overstory removal, what would you mm-hmm. guess would be your timeline for something like that? You know, if it, and I'll look at it in two, you know, two different ways. If it was a timber investment client, it would probably be year five, six, seven, right in there. Um, with this individual, we may say, "Hey, do you want to what stand number one? It's there. The regeneration's great, and the the canopy's too much for this, you know, desirable regeneration to thrive. It's the you know the shade intolerant or the shade tolerant species are taking over it. Let's let's look at doing an overstory removal and, you know, stand number two and be like, okay, yeah, let's, let's do that. And that, so it'll be, and then we may look at doing that at year five, may look at doing that at year 10, but, you know, just going off of meeting number one with that client um, may, may not do one. It may just kind of be a revolving door of, you know, managing and keeping an early successional forest throughout the property over time. Yeah. Yeah. And I could see the benefit to the deer in that situation mm-hmm. because this continuum yep. of change is really, really yes. important. All right. Yes. Yeah. That's, this is great. I mean, to me, we got in the weeds here and this is the stuff. And some of you may have found this not as entertaining as talking about all the deer stories we've had over you know the, the past couple of months, right? Yeah, the way my season was, man, there ain't nothing to share. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, you know, that's okay because, you know, this is where the rubber meets the road. You got to have real prescriptions and strategy. And you're listening to somebody yeah. who's an expert that, that understands this a field. And I think it's important to kind of think more in-depthly about what we're doing in some of these decisions because yep. it is it, not going in there and just literally hinge cutting trees and you know right. I, I see so many mistakes made in that capacity and especially you've got roughly in this case a hundred acre you know 110 mm-hmm. acres and you're dealing with you know 90 percent of it as timber you know you really got to make appropriate steps to make it function for you and, and the layout's yes. got to be critical too so you're doing layout you're doing you know stand manipulation and at the end of the day he's going to be better off future generations are going to be better off and this is why you do hire a professional, whether it's a wildlife person, you know, consulting like myself or, or Kenny. So I'm 
I love this. I love this level of detail because we're pushing yes. each other to think deeper about this stuff, right? Oh, big time, big time. I mean, it is. It's 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 a revolving door. Things change every year. Of is it you know is there an insect infestation that could cause something to totally change you know where he's at he's in the target zone of where the you know dc and r saying is going to be the highest gypsy moth population in the state so it's like hey we you know you always you're always on your toes and then definitely a reason to start thinking about what your harvest strategy is going to be in that scenario all right so let's um let's end there um yep i'm going to foreshadow a future discussion we're going to talk about species that deer prefer so uh we'll get kenny to do his uh his homework and put something together and uh you know he certainly knows more about these things than i do i know a thing or two but maybe i need to know a thing or two more so i think it'll be good for us to hear him out on that and i think this was a good topic it gives people no i i think it's great every everyone's still amped up from the hunting season and you know seasons are coming to an end and it's time to like all right, I'm still amped up and let's start getting the work done. Let's, you know, start learning more what I can do to make my property better. So I think it's perfect timing for some, you know, a conversation like this. Yeah. Good, man. All right. We'll catch back up with you. Thanks for being on the show. And, uh, thanks for having me, John. Great talking again. Good, bud. We'll talk soon. See you, man. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Maximize your hunt is a production of whitetail landscapes. For more information on how John Teeter and his team of experts can help you maximize your hunt, check out whitetaillandscapes.com.